Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. So it's Palm Sunday today, if you forgot. <laughs> Although, I, you know, we could play with these every Sunday. I'd be fine with that. But Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. And so today is a day that we remember that Jesus was received into Jerusalem on Sunday, only to face a criminal's death on Friday. We recognize the paradox that the people who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, when they saw Jesus riding through the gates of Jerusalem on a donkey, are the same people who only days later shouted, crucify him. And this allows us to name and recognize the tension in our own lives and hearts. Because these people of Jerusalem who so quickly tossed their palms to the side and instead raised clenched fists against their king are also us. We are them. We clutch our palms and we shout to the glory of God and Christ when it's convenient for us only to toss those palms aside and raise our fists in protest against the type of righteous living that God has called us to. But the good news of this week is that God doesn't hold our rebellion against us. The good news is that the cross happened to Jesus for us. The cross happened to Jesus for the people of Jerusalem who called for him to be placed upon it. The cross happened so that we might not so that we might know just who we are dealing with when we decide to follow this Jesus. The cross happened so that you and I and all those who have come before us and all those who have, will come after us might not truly have to experience the eternal consequences of raising a fist of defiance in the face of God. The cross happened so that death would lose its power when the tomb was found empty. But that's a story for another day. The story for today takes place after Jesus made his triumphal entry through the gates of Jerusalem. The people greeted him as the one who would save Israel from the oppressive regime of Rome. They greeted him as the king that they had prayed for, the king who had been prophesied, the king 
who would come and deliver them. But what they quickly learned was that Jesus was not there to raise up the sword of rebellion against their enemies. Jesus had come to raise awareness, awareness that the greatest oppressor of the people of Israel was the people of Israel themselves. And the people didn't care very much for having the mirror held up to themselves. And so what Jesus did after he came into Jerusalem was he walked into the temple, the the highest holy place in all of the land, and saw that it had become a place of blasphemy. There was an entire economy being run inside of the temple walls that took advantage of those who were simply seeking to practice the God-instituted celebration of Passover. There was an economic barrier being placed between people and the worship of their God. And so Jesus flipped over the tables of the money changers. He expelled them from the temple. And then he publicly stated, I'm going to tear this whole thing down. And then I'll rebuild it in three days. And people in power... People whose money just got flipped onto the ground didn't take very kindly to the words and the actions of this new king of Israel. And so the plot reached critical mass to have Jesus arrested and crucified. And so they found an inside man, Judas Iscariot, They paid him 30 pieces of silver to betray his master, Jesus. And the plan was set. The pieces were all in motion. But while all of that planning and scheming was going on, Jesus and the disciples had a plan of their own, a plan to celebrate the Passover meal together. While the Pharisees and the leaders schemed against Jesus, Jesus schemed up a way to go ahead and secure an upper room for him and his friends to share the meal together. He sent them out to secure the venue, and once it was, the table was set. And so our reading today begins in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. It says, when the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me. His hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another, which one of them 
it could possibly be who would do this. See, Jesus knew that he wasn't the only one with a plan at the table that night. Jesus knew that this would be his last meal with his friends. And this is the beginning of the wounding of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus endures the emotional wound of saying goodbye to his friends at the hands and at the betrayal of another of his friends. Later on that evening, after the supper was over, Jesus and the disciples went to the garden to pray. And this is what happens. This picks up at Luke 22, verse 39. It says, he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come to the time of trial. So then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down onto the ground. When he got up from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Here we see the spiritual wounding of Jesus, the, the anguish that his soul endured knowing what it was going to cost for him to follow God's redemptive plan for the world. He tried to bargain with God to no avail. The price was high, and he knew it. And then after this time of prayer, Jesus was arrested Jesus was tried, was mocked, was beaten, and then was sentenced to death on the cross. So later on in Luke's gospel, in chapter 23, verses 32 through 34, we get these words. It says, two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that's called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they cast lots to divide his clothing. And so Jesus' final moments on earth included the tearing of his flesh, the, the penetration of his body with nails, and the absolute brutality that occurs when a beaten and broken body is hung to die. Jesus' final wounding was, of course, physical. And so Jesus endured emotional, spiritual, and physical wounding. The same types of wounds that you and I and everyone who has ever traversed the human experience has lived through in some form or another. 
And the beauty of this Holy Week thing is that it absolutely validates our human connection to Jesus. Because in Holy Week, we find a God who absolutely understands human suffering in all of its dimensions. We find a God who absolutely loves us. Despite the fact that the best idea that human beings could come up with was to put God on a cross and kill him. During Holy Week, we find a God who still finds it in his heart to utter words of forgiveness over those who have inflicted emotional, spiritual, and physical wounds on him. But what we find most in the death of Jesus is that the cross became the ultimate way for God to paint with the ashes of human iniquity. While we may have been content to put Christ on the cross, God was not content to let the brokenness of our world that made us think that that was a good idea win. God used the death of Jesus to overcome the powers of evil that had been holding humanity hostage for all of history and then paved the way for the world-changing revolution to begin. Jesus, while wounded, became the one who would heal us. Jesus became the one who, while wounded, would heal our world. And so what we find in Holy Week is that we, we find in the death of Christ on the cross is the very gift of purpose for us as people who follow in the way of Jesus. See, Jesus' life and death modeled for us the way of the wounded healer. From the ashes of death, God began to paint a new future for us and for all of humanity. From the ashes of death, God makes us new through the gift of Christ. Through the ashes of death, God gives us a new purpose and an example to follow. You see, God has recognized our woundedness. God has experienced our woundedness alongside of us. And God meets us in our woundedness to enable us to become like him, wounded healers. God wants us to become wounded healers. God doesn't want us to be people who look back on our past with shame, guilt, and anger. God doesn't want us to be people who simply pretend the past didn't happen and move on into the future like brand new. God wants us to use the experiences of our own mistakes, the experiences of our wounds, the experiences of our brokenness to testify to the transformational power of the cross. We are people who claim victory over the brokenness of our lives. And God wants us to be those who help others to find their way out of their same mess and declare victory over theirs. 
And you know, perhaps the, the most obvious example of this comes from the 12th step of 12-step recovery programs. You see, recovery programs by nature deal in brokenness, in woundedness, in messy people, in messy places. And the steps are a means of bringing about the psychic and spiritual change needed for people to break the grasp of a cycle of behavior that continually wounds them. And the crux of the whole program is that it works because it, it inherently pushes people outside of themselves to help heal those who are still suffering. And so Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a version of a 12-step program, of, has a, a statement, of, states the 12th step this way. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, the, the first 11, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And so in a experience through Christ's death on the cross, but all of that is necessitated by our own wandering through the mess. We can't skip over the healing part or else we won't have any experience to offer anyone on how they might find healing themselves. And that's how it goes with Holy Week. See, we're naturally inclined to want to skip over the darkness in the middle of the story. We naturally want to go from the triumphal entry of raising our palms and waving them and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to, look, the tomb's empty, everybody. We don't want to look at the cross. We don't want to look at what happens between those two. But to do that is to rob ourselves of the fundamental truth about what the resurrection has done for us. See, we can't skip over the wounding of Jesus. We can't skip over the cross because it's in this pain that God begins to paint something beautiful out of the ashes. So taking this time to sit in the discomfort of Jesus' pain, of Jesus' final week, of what Jesus has done for you and me because of our own inability to change on our own, our own inability to accept God's love without some sort of mediator. It's in this that we truly find the victory of the cross in the glory of the resurrection. It allows us to reflect on how God wants us to use that brokenness that we're confronted with. It's in this that God shows us how he wants us to use our ashes, our story, to heal the world around us. It shows us how God wants to teach us how to paint with our ashes, too.